We are continuing our series called, Won't You Be My Neighbor? This question is helping us to explore how we might be more intentional about engaging with others who don't necessarily look, act, or even believe like we do. Pastor Steve began this series with a sermon on boundary lines. Our natural proclivity is to surround ourselves with like-minded people Yet Jesus shows us how our own well-being is actually tied up in the well-being of another, regardless of their tribe. Last week, Steve tackled some difficult words of Jesus and showed us how the world can begin to change for the better as we step outside of our comfortable tribe to encounter and embrace the outsider. Today, we're going to continue where Steve left off in the next passage in the Gospel of Mark. So if you'd like to grab a pew Bible or open your own to Mark 7, we're going to be reading verses 31 through 37. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon toward the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside in private away from the crowd, and put his fingers in his ears. And he spat, and he touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Open our hearts and minds, O Lord, to receive the word just read and the words to come so that we might walk even closer with you. Amen. So my stepdad, DeWitt, loves maps. Maps of the travels of Lewis and Clark, maps of military advancements throughout history, maps of Europe, maps of how to get from Reno, Nevada to Boise, Idaho. I've used both, but I prefer GPS on my phone. But I sort of bridge the generational gap because I don't think my kids can even read a map. So when I first read this passage about Jesus returning from the region of Tyre and walking to the region of the Decapolis by way of Sidon toward the Sea of Galilee, I thought nothing of it. Nothing. I really don't care. But interestingly, the scholars do care. They find this part of the story to be a bit peculiar, and it's only recorded in the Gospel of Mark. One writer said that this journey of Jesus would be a little like going from Baltimore to Atlanta by way of Boston and ending up in Birmingham. Maybe Mark didn't know the geography of Palestine very well, but we do know that the region of the Decapolis is Gentile territory, outsiders. Once again, Jesus leaves his neighborhood with his friends and family, and heads into unfamiliar territory with unfamiliar people. 
I'm not sure what Jesus is trying to show me as I drive from church to home right into my gated community where I pull my car into the garage and I shut my garage door down tight even before I step inside of the house. Hmm. Well, then I read on in this scripture passage and I saw a word that was intriguing. I like words. I like words more than I like maps. So this word preceded a beautiful miracle, a miracle where a person is not only physically healed, but who is now restored to his community. He had been on the outside, but now the circle had gotten wider, and he is included with just one word. Jesus changes his life. Fred Rogers once said, if you could only sense how important you are to the lives of those you meet, how important you can be to the people you may never even dream of, there is something of yourself that you leave behind at every meeting with another person. Bob Goff tells the story of when he was a boy and he used to gather the few coins from his dad's pockets every day so he could save up to go to the corner store to buy a piece of candy. Bob said the guy at the counter was a wonderful old man who looked like the guy in the movie Up. He had little white whiskers that poked out of his face like corn stalks. And whenever someone entered the store, the little bell would ring on the door. He would look up and stop begging groceries just long enough to offer a grin and a nod. Bob remembered agonizing over which piece of candy to choose, but eventually he would make his selection and put the small pile of coins next to it, never really knowing if he had enough money to to buy the candy bar that he had chosen. The old man would count the pennies and the nickels in a low, gentle voice, teaching Bob the value of each coin and helping him to count out the money. The shopkeeper would smile, give the boy a nod, and slide the candy bar across the counter with any leftover change that wasn't needed for this purchase. Bob loved to stay in the store and watch this man make small talk with the shoppers. It was the kind of place where you would want to linger, One time, after the old man had counted the small boy's money, he shook his whiskered face and he he squinted, we're one penny short. Now you have to remember, this is back in the day when a penny actually had value. So Bob remembers as a kid that this one penny is an impassable divide and you can really feel alone when it's just you. But the old man had said, we we're one penny short, like we're in this together. The storekeeper said, I've got an idea. He grinned as he started rubbing that penny with a cloth. He said, I know what it feels like to really want something and to come up short. The old man continued, I really like watching over this store, and I love how you would come to see me so much. After he shined up the penny, He put it with the rest, and he proclaimed, In my store, shiny pennies are worth double. You would have thought that this little boy had won the lottery, and these words and their meanings have stuck with him for over 50 years. You see, words spoken by kind people have the ability to endure in our lives. 
The word that Jesus kindly spoke, Ephatha. I think this might be one of those words that we want to add to our vocabulary so it can endure throughout our lives. It could become a breath prayer of sorts. It goes like this. F-a-tha. Let's try it. First, it's the big breath. F. Well done. This is an Aramaic word. The language that Jesus spoke, in a way, it brings us even closer to the breath and the voice of Jesus. It means open or be opened. And in the context of our series, And in the examples that Jesus models for us, I hear a call to be open to others. And that like Jesus, we shouldn't just wait to see who comes to us in through the church doors or into our personal neighborhoods. But perhaps we should also go out to them. We need to be open to all of the people God puts in our path. Sometimes this is easy. Like when we already have a soft spot in our heart for a particular person or a group who is left out on the other side of the neighborhood. For example, for some of us, it would be relatively easy to encounter and embrace a guy who's collecting unemployment checks because we've been there before. Or the women from the Me Too movement because we have a daughter who was sexually assaulted or someone from the LGBTQ community because we have a beloved family member who is gay. These groups are still other to us, and again, even though it might take some intentionality and an ephatha or an opening of our eyes to see, we could do this. Sometimes this is easy when we can use our gifts to reach out to others beyond our neighborhood. There's a sweet article in the October issue of Presbyterians Today. A man named Carl Webb moved in with his daughter after his wife of 54 years had passed away. One day at church, he noticed someone with a sheet of paper listing the birthdays for the month for the people of their church, and he had an idea. Carl had spent his career working in radio, and he loved to sing. He was a renowned soloist using his God-given gift of song for all the people in Eden, North Carolina, where he and his wife had lived. He could no longer walk and see as well as he used to, but he could still sing. So he got out the list of birthdays from the church, and he began calling and singing happy birthday to all of those who attend Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. As people became aware of this special ministry, they would give him other names of people who would benefit from such a greeting. After 18 years of this ministry, Carl has sung over 35,000 happy birthday calls to church members and strangers. On Carl's 99th birthday this past May, the entire congregation sang happy birthday to him. The song was followed with a standing ovation and thunderous applause that filled him with joy. Carl says he plans to sing until he can no longer draw a breath. Gifts, purpose, intentionality, effort. This is an 
epitha or openness in a way that helps us to see others around us and to reach out in creative love. But what about the others who are particularly difficult for us? The ones we don't have a soft place in our heart for. The ones who tend to close our spirit. We all have them. Maybe it's those who seem to use power and money to bully others. Maybe it's those who are so idealistic they wouldn't know common sense if it hit them between the eyes. Maybe it's the closed-minded Democrats or the closed-minded Republicans. These are the people we cannot do alone. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Ephesa, Lord, open my heart to see the humanity of this other person. Desmond Tutu, the first black South African archbishop of Cape Town, who won the Nobel Prize for Peace for his role in the opposition to apartheid in South Africa, promoted and maintained the dignity and humanity of all people, even the white people who had brutally oppressed the black people all those years. This concept called Ubuntu, I am because we are, values the other person just because they are a person. You can't be human all by yourself. What hurts you hurts me. What gives you joy gives me joy. We heard a wonderful story at Montreat last summer about an anthropologist who was studying in Africa. He brought out a basket of delicious treats and he showed it to a group of African children. They were so excited. They had never seen such an amazing selection of chocolates and gummies and candies. Their mouths watered in in anticipation. He told them that they were going to have a race and the first kid to get to the tree would win the basket of candy. When they were all lined up at the starting line, he called out, on your mark, get set, go. The children immediately grabbed hands and ran together towards the tree, crossing the finish line in unison. One child said, what joy would I have if I got all the candy and my friends got none? Ubuntu. Author John Lockley speaks into this concept of Ubuntu in a way that acknowledges our own humanity and our brokenness in those places where we struggle to be kind and loving. He says Ubuntu means to feel your shadow and to not throw your shadow onto somebody else. To feel your shadow means to feel your difficult emotions, feel your prejudice, feel your jealousy, feel your anger, feel your hatred, and become like the lotus flower and transform it through breathing in those shadow, muddy parts of yourself, transforming it into your heart and then blossoming like a flower. That's Ubuntu. So what does it mean if you're feeling prejudice or you look at someone and you don't like the color of their skin and it brings up a memory or it brings up hatred and you find yourself going into this cycle of stereotyping, be aware watch carefully. 
Because in your next action, you could be reacting, and you could be bringing forth some sort of dark emotion and throwing it onto that person, and the cycle of hatred continues in the world. So Ubuntu means humanity. Ubuntu means acting in a way that is kind, that is humanitarian, and that involves listening, deep listening. First, to yourself, and this is where we need the Holy Spirit, the Ephatha, to open our heart so we can look deeply into the eyes of another person and see their humanity and listen to their story. When we do this, we start transforming ourselves and our cultures and our communities. This sounds so beautiful, like experiencing the kingdom of God right here on earth. I'm sure it's what Jesus had in mind as he encountered other people. And you would think at least we Christians would just all naturally behave in this loving, kind way to one another, both in our neighborhood and outside of our neighborhood, that we would be filled with curiosity and wonder as we seek to understand the other. I don't know why, but it can be so hard to do. Seeking to understand Having space for the other is a value that I hold deeply and a place where I often stumble. In my effort to live into this value, I did a crazy thing this summer. There's a phrase that my mentor has used a lot over the years, and I asked my mom to write these words down on a piece of paper. Now, I absolutely adore my mom. For every breath of my life, she has shown me what the unconditional love of God might feel like. So I had her write down the three words, tell me more. And when my daughters and I were in Portland, Oregon last June, I had those words tattooed on my wrist in her handwriting as a permanent reminder of how much I am loved and how I am called to love others by seeing, listening, and seeking to understand. Tell me more. And now from this encounter in Scripture, I will breathe the prayer, Ephesus, open my heart, O oh God. <clears throat>